Let me invite you to open your Bibles now to Psalm 16, Psalm of David. Hear now the Word of God. Keep me safe, O God, for in you I take refuge. I said to the Lord, You are my Lord. Apart from you I have no good thing. As for the saints who are in the land, they are the glorious ones in whom is all my delight. The sorrows of those will increase who run after other gods. I will not pour out their libations of blood or take up their names on my lips. Lord, you have assigned me my portion and my cup. You have made my lot secure. The boundary lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. Surely I have a delightful inheritance. I will praise the Lord who counsels me. Even at night my heart instructs me. I've set the Lord always before me. Because he is at my right hand, I will not be shaken. Therefore, my heart is glad and my tongue rejoices. My body also will rest secure because you will not abandon me to the grave, nor will you let your Holy One see decay. You have made known to me the path of life. You will fill me with joy in your presence, with eternal pleasures at your right hand. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. This morning, I want to talk to you about a really terrible feeling that we we all have and a deep emotional struggle that we kind of go in and out of and and I'm afraid we spend a lot of time in the midst of this struggle and the name of this struggle is discontentment. Now, when I say discontentment, I'm not talking about the way some people use the word. I'm discontented with my golf swing and need to improve it or my tennis stroke I'm talking as David is talking about a a deep sense of the need for to be filled by God a deep sense potentially of restlessness and fear and lack that we just feel like maybe something's not there in our life and we we wonder what that is And we have this awful feeling down deep that we call discontentment. You know, when I feel that way, maybe maybe like you, first thing I think of is I think, why am I feeling this way? And why should I, of all people, struggle with contentment? I mean, you know, I can tick off all the, the immediate practical reasons why that should not happen. You know, we have more just more of everything than any other group of people who've lived on the planet. We're not missing really anything. Um, We have more leisure because of our technology and because of our economy. In other words, we have time to enjoy all the more time than our forebears to enjoy all the stuff that we have. I I remember watching a documentary last year on the, the little amusement park outside of New York City called Coney Island, which used to be really famous and it was just fascinating to me. They were talking about how factory workers in the early 1900s in New York City, I mean, they would save like three years, save their money to have one day at Coney Island. I mean, I wouldn't even go to Coney Island. That's small potatoes. You know, why, why should I be discontent? We have more entertainment, more amusements than any other generation, more information, more education, more contact, we're emailing, we're uh, texting and twittering and frittering and, and everything else. I mean, you know, we're, 
we're, we're just bombarded with, with more. We've got better food. We've got better overall health. And we're able, above any generation in the world, to see things beyond our environment. We're able to travel. Southwest Airlines, you know, has their tagline, the, you are now free to move about the country. Kind of a democratization of even travel where it's affordable within the, the reach of many average Americans. So, I mean, we got it, right? So why do I feel that way? Why do you struggle with contentment? Here's the reason why. is Contentment has nothing to do with any of those. So what's it about? What is true contentment really about? Psalm 16, far from being the musings of a spoiled modern like myself, is a psalm that David wrote, scholars believe, when, when he was running from Saul. Hence the, the first verse of this psalm, Keep me safe, O God, for in you I take refuge. So, so here David is, is, a, is, is giving us this psalm about rich contentment in God, and he's on the run for his life. You know, and, and yet he is so eloquent to talk about what it means to be filled by God. True contentment, Psalm 16 says this. It is, true contentment is about relationships. Let me say that again. You want, you want real contentment, it's about relationships. Now if that's true, that means when I'm restless... And struggling in my heart, I need to ask myself a question, not what stuff am I missing in my life, but what is happening in the key relationships in my life that might be causing these feelings? Those are the questions I need to ask. And I want to ask you to open your hearts with me as we look at Psalm 16 to ask these questions of your life and the level of your contentment. David says in Psalm 16, contentment is about relationship with God and with God's people. And then the ministry that flows out of having the real thing, God, with God's people out into the world. It's just that simple. It's about relationships with God and God's people. First is this relationship with God. Look at verse 2. I said to the Lord, you are my Lord... Apart from you, I have no good thing. Now, what you don't see reading the English version of this passage is that in the first two verses, there are three names of God given. They are El, Yahweh, and Adonai. And literally what, what David is saying is this. this is, I mean, it just starts very God-centered. God, when it's about you, it's all good. You are god You are the committed, loving, covenant-keeping God, the Lord Almighty. And my life is wrapped up in you. And as long as my life is wrapped up in you, I am content. Apart from you, I have no good thing. What that means is, is what I need, I have from God. Now, relationship with God is the key. It's the key to human existence. I mean, think about this. This is God who created us, and the key to human existence is to know the one who created us, to have a love relationship with him, and to to live out the purpose for which he created us. I mean, this is not rocket science. But this is the key relationship. But we know God through Christ. 
And, and to know God through Christ, we experience incredible love from God. If we ask ourselves, what is it we need to be content? The answer is we need to know God. We need to know that God loves us and experiences love. And we need to believe that everything good that we need will come from Him. D.A. Carson interprets verse 2 this way. My good well-being, O God, is not beyond you. It does not lie outside of you. You, O God, are all the good I need. See, there's a contentment there. In the Christian life, there are times when we feel closer to God than other times. Would you agree with me on that? That is certainly true of my life. But I would like to observe that in those times when we do not feel as close to God, something is lacking. And here's the point. When there's something lacking, then there is a void. And when there is that void, then there is a kind of fear that sets in that we're not going to have what we need. And that is the moment, folks, when we're beginning to to not be as close to God. We're not saying to God, apart from you, oh, loving Lord, I have no good thing. That's the moment when we're going to decide to try to fill our lives with something else other than God. And um, contentment with God is an incredibly beautiful thing. It's a peaceful thing. It is a happy thing. And I will tell you, there's lots of stuff to fill our lives with. The grace of Jesus Christ sets us free from the fear of ever again being unloved. Isn't that a wonderful thing? We will never again be unloved if we have a relationship through Christ. And not only will we not be unloved, we will also have everything we need. You look at the cross and what do you see? You see that God has given all for you and you can give up your fear of being unloved. You look at the cross, what do you see? Not only am I loved because God so loved me and sacrificed everything for me, but I know that God will also give me everything necessary. Romans 8.32 says, He who did, did not spare his own son." But gave him up for us all. How will he not also along with him graciously give us all things? What Paul's saying is God gave his own son. He, he gave him up. Do you really think that he won't, that God won't give us everything that we need? Psalm 84, 11 says, For the Lord God is a sun and a shield. The Lord bestows favor and honor. No good thing does he withhold from those whose walk is blameless. O Lord Almighty, blessed is the man who trusts in you. Maybe we could say content is the man who trusts in you. Do we believe that God really is going to withhold good things from us if we just have a deep and loving relationship with him? No, we will have the love that we need. We won't have to go fill our lives with love in other places. And we will have all that we need. That's where contentment starts. It starts with a relationship with God. But secondly, contentment includes a relationship with God's people. Look at verse 3. As for the saints who are in the land, 
They are the glorious one in whom is all my delight. You see, God not only gives us himself. God gives us brothers and sisters. God is going to give us the people we need to be able to live the life that he wants us to live. One of the things that inspired me as a young believer, and I mean really inspired me, because when I came to know the Lord, I just didn't know much at all. And it was just all new to me. And so there were some breathtaking realizations for me as a new believer. And one of those was just how people in the church I was in considered the church to be a great privilege. And I noticed this. And, and I noticed that there was a, a personal excitement about being with God's people, and I noticed an appreciation for this kind of recipe that God was putting together in a local group of people. I mean, I looked around, and I thought, these people would not hang around with each other in ordinary life, all of them. And yet, how beautiful God is, because he's not only given us himself, he's given us a wider experience, more understanding, more hues and shades and colors, all to give us what we need through the body of Christ. And, and I had just drifted for years. And I came to know the Lord, and I had that relationship with God. And then I sensed that I belonged. And I didn't have an initiation. I didn't have to go through any ritual. I belonged just because I knew Jesus. And they decided they would take me in, and they would love me just because I was their brother. It is the most beautiful thing. And you know, God designs the church. And even in, in its local manifestations, you see, it's more than a family. It's a body. And as Paul says, God is working this. God is trying to give us something, not only through a relationship with him, but through the church. And so important is every part, every person in the body just like a body can't function well without its parts, so also we need one another. God made this thing to work in community. Basically, this is what I want you to hear from this second part about the church, about God's people. You can't have contentment alone. You will never be able to have that sense of peace and filling and contentment alone. And you won't even be able to have it with just you and Jesus. Because that's not the way he designed it. As for the saints, the glorious ones, they are all my delight. And we experience God's beauty in the church. We experience forgiveness in the church. We experience love. We experience power and knowledge and wisdom and purpose and we experience it in his people. It's a beautiful thing. Calvin said this, We ought to highly value and esteem the true and devoted servants of God and regard nothing as greater importance in this world than to connect our lives with theirs. I'll never forget something my niece said in, out loud, in a family gathering when she was 17 years old. Now, she was a junior in high school, and so I asked her the normal question. Where do you see yourself after graduation? Where would you like to live? And, um, 
And basically, she said, I want to live here where I've always lived, and I want to go to church with the people that I've always gone to church with. I mean, this was, I couldn't believe it. This is an outgoing person. This is a smart person. This is a capable person. I mean, it was so counter to the go off and dream big and do cool stuff while you're young, which is fine. Wherever you go, you got to get connected with the people of God. So it's not that you have to stay in Jackson. That's not the uh, underlying meaning of the text, I promise. But I was so intrigued. She got it. And I'm telling you, I was pastoring a church in Colorado and struggling with some of the issues of community, and that just burned through my soul. This is what she said. Look, those people are just too important to me. As for the saints who are in the land... They are the glorious ones in whom is all my delight. I was 42 years old before I realized this truth. That it's not just what you do. It's who you do it with as well. And by God's grace, that's one of the reasons we're here. And glad to be here with you. And to live our lives with you. You see, there is a growing contentment. Psalm 16 teaches us. There's a growing contentment that comes from sharing life with people in the Lord. But you know what's great about this? There's a a kind of corresponding growth. There's a growing commitment to the Lord when we grow together. We literally need one another to be able to learn And to grow. We need one another to to be able to find those places of filling and contentment that God has, has determined can only be filled by the saints in the land, the glorious ones in whom is all our delight. See, our relationship with God gives rise to our relationship with His people. But our relationship with His people strengthens our relationship with God. And that's where David kind of goes next. Henry Law puts it this way. He says, how prone man is to cast away the true and living God. And with a a deluded mind to rush into idolatry. That's true. Then he adds this. But to multiply gods is to multiply sorrows. You see, it's not the way we live. Together. We will seek the Lord. Together, we will help one another turn from other gods and be strengthened in our relationship with the Lord. Our culture tends to induce a sense of discontentment just by the messages we hear everywhere we turn. I mean, basically, the message is, 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 is that I don't have what others have. Or I don't have what I think others have. And I will not be complete until I have certain things. I will not be complete until I have relationships with certain people that make me feel a certain way and that others can recognize this as well and feel that I'm okay. And our culture tells us in a thousand different ways what we must have before we can be happy, before we can be content. And I tell you, it is all tinny, shiny trinkets compared 
to the relationship that we have with God that nothing that is good doesn't come from Him and the relationship that we have with His people. C.S. Lewis, in his essay, The Weight of Glory, talked about just how easily our hearts turn to different things. He, he said, and this is a very famous quote, many of you have heard it, we are half-hearted creatures fooling around with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered to us. We're like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a vacation at the beach. We are far too easily amused. It's true. He called what I call shiny trinkets, he calls mud, compared to what is most important. And you know, you look at verse 4 with me for a moment. What we think will bring us happiness. What we think will bring us happiness actually will bring, if we sell out to it, disappointment and emptiness and sorrow. And you can write that down. That is not Joseph Wheat's opinion. And I have watched, I'm just old enough to have watched people's lives from college and out of college till now. 47 years old. And I will tell you, not only from my own experience, but I will tell you just from observing what I see. Those people who trended away from God to try to make their lives with other things and other people are not content and are not happy. And those people that trended toward loving the Lord and resting in His love and trusting His goodness and making those relationships in the body of Christ, being a part of that body and finding, filling and love and purpose together are more contented. And there are a lot of people in between. And all of us struggle at different times with contentment. So it's a very real issue. Look at verse 4. The sorrows of those will increase who rush after other gods. The sorrows of those will increase who rush after other gods. I will not pour out their libations of blood, this means meaning the sacrifices. I will not take up their name on my lips, meaning I will not worship them. And we can help one another to love the Lord our God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. We can help one another turn from idols to the living God. And turning from idols to God, look at verse 7, it brings strength. I will praise the Lord who counsels me even at night. My heart instructs me. I have set the Lord always before me. Listen to this. Because he is at my right hand, I will not be shaken. Isn't that beautiful? I will be content. I will not be shaken as long as God is the focus. And this relationship with the saints in the land, the glorious ones, becomes my delight. And God even more becomes the focus. And then we get into this idea that, that it is God alone who sees the big picture of our life. And look, I'm not trying to tell you that you shouldn't study hard to get a job. I'm not telling you you should never take a promotion because God put you here or there. You've got to pray through what God wants you to do at different places in your life. That's not what I'm trying to communicate here. But I will tell you that if you look at the arc of your life, if you looked at the arc of your life at your death, you will see that God had that big picture. 
And it's a wonderful thing. And that's the meaning of verse 5, this, this idea of the portion and the cup. The, o Lord, he says, you have, you have assigned me my portion and my cup. You have made my lot secure. See, we can have a relationship with God. We can love the saints in the land, and, and that can strengthen us. And there's feeling that comes from that. But I'm going to tell you something. God has the big picture here. God assigns our portion and our cup. And it'd be a bad thing just to fight against God your whole life. And then we get into this imagery. One of the famous verses in this passage is verse 6. And, and you have to understand what it means. The boundary lines have fallen unto me in pleasant places. He says, surely I have a delightful inheritance. What's this thing about the boundary lines? Well, it's, it's literally the same thing as the portion in the cup. It's the Lord and, and where he's setting the boundary lines in your life. It's about when the children of Israel came into the land and took over the land. Do you know what God did? God apportioned the land. He dictated who got what. And tribe by tribe, family by family, God drew the boundary lines. And nobody could say, that's not enough land for me. Because God himself wanted to be generous and loving. And God, get, God assigns our portion in our cup. Do you believe that? And it's good. If you have a relationship with God, he's good. The boundary lines have fallen unto us in pleasant places. James Boyce says discontent is one of the most striking characteristics of our time. It is particularly a mark of the so-called baby boomer generation. Unfortunately, that's mine. One author, Mike Bella, and I love the name of this book, Baby Boomer Believers, Why I Think I Need It All and How to Survive When I Don't Get It. Isn't that a great title for a book. This is what this author says. Baby boomers are not very contented because our expectations are so much higher than our reality because we always want stuff we don't need and maybe even in God's boundary lines aren't supposed to have. We tend to be discontent, restless, and bored. There is no cure for this, he says, except in God. And you add to that the fact that we are the people of short attention spans. We are the people in constant need of information, excitement, adrenaline rushes, and 24-hour-a-day entertainment. We are the generation who has the ability and many have the finances to do 15 things. And we should be doing six. Not 15. We should be doing six. And in all the churn. And in all the, the churn and all the wanting, we can lose a sense of a walk. Not a run, not a sprint, not a frantic, a walk with God. A relationship, a loving relationship with God. And not only is that threatened by all this churn and all this wanting that we all struggle with, we actually lose the ability to develop a relationship at all with the saints in the land. And they are not my highest delight. Here's the deal. Welcome to 2010. We have it all. Except for the key relationships that actually give contentment. 
David says contentment comes from relationships with God, with God's people. And the relationship with God's people becomes a base then to actually offer the real things to others in ministry. But lastly, he talks about how those relationships are eternal. And by the way, I, I will just say, I just hear the fabric ripping. I mean, we're so tied to our busyness, we're so tied to our devices, we're so tired, tied to, to, to all this in the home, in the church. I just hear the fabric ripping of relationships that God has made absolutely necessary for contentment. And I don't tell you that to chide, I have to chide myself. I tell you that I'm begging you to think about your life. Like God has been challenging me this week to think about my own. But thirdly, these relationships are eternal. Verse 9, therefore my heart is glad. Do you hear that language? My heart is glad. My tongue rejoices. My body will rest secure because you will not abandon me to the grave, nor will you let your Holy One see decay. And, G- and, and David is the anointed one. David, this is a Psalm of David. But you know, this is one of those cases where this is not only about David, but David not even knowing it. This is a description about the eternal life that comes through Jesus and his resurrection. I mean, basically, Jesus died for our sins so we wouldn't have to. And Jesus rose from the dead to give us everlasting life. Hear this. In the presence of God. To give us everlasting life in the presence of God. And, and, then, and then that that last and famous verse, and I have pondered this verse so often. I've gotten excited about this verse. And you can take this verse as kind of something God is doing in your life now, but especially in terms of resurrection and future, you can take this verse in terms of, of what it will be one day. You have made known to me the path of life. You will fill me with joy in your presence with eternal pleasures at your right hand. In heaven, I'm saying, as we move to the table through Jesus, in perfect contentment forever, relationships flourishing you ready for this? With God and who else? With God's people. Because that's who will be there. And that's the way God has always designed our joy and contentment. Now and then. May the Lord help you think through issues about where you are and trusting in the love of God? Do you have to fill your life with other things than God? Where you are in terms of the saints who live in the land, the glorious ones, and where you are just in terms of the the fabric of those relationships, either becoming stronger or becoming weaker and, and tearing. Let's pray. Lord, we pray as we move to the table that you would show us that when it comes to you, it is all good. And you have so loved us that you've given us your only son. And in your son you have given us all things and you will give us all things. And this love relationship and and even in your church. Lord, thank you now that you want to be with us 
in that way that you have designed called communion and you want to be with us in the midst of a covenant community that we can enjoy it together as well. We pray you'd bless in Jesus' name. Amen.